Welcome to Careers 2.0. This is a podcast where we learn how to build and monetize your online audience from people who've been there and done that. And we couldn't ask for a better teacher than today's guest, Jared Pollen. Jared is an OG YouTuber who uploaded over 3,000 videos in the last 15 years and amassed almost one and a half million subscribers. But he didn't set out to be a professional YouTuber. I mean, it wasn't even a thing back then. He is a photographer first and started uploading in order to build up his business, photography business, and get some gigs. We talked about how social media changed over the years and with it, his business, and how one of those gigs almost landed him in the White House. Jared has an amazing personality and is really passionate about his work, and it shows. I hope you'll be inspired as much as I was. Hi, Jared. Thanks so much for joining. No problem. Thank you for having me. Uh, Listen, why don't you like the term influencer? Why don't I like the term influencer? Notice that you you are very precise, that you want to call yourself a photographer who makes uh, um, YouTube videos, you're an educator, but when someone mentions an influencer, uh, it doesn't sound that good to you. I call myself an influencer today in some sense because I actually do influence people. Right? right. I'm not one of these people who sets out to be an influencer. I'm uh-huh. a photographer who so happens to make YouTube videos, which is how I explain to people what I do. Because I've been a photographer since I was 13, and I've made YouTube videos since around 2010, 2009, a little before that. Yeah. And it, it just has morphed, right? I'm a photographer who so happens to make YouTube videos where I feel that other people who make YouTube videos in the photography sphere are people who make YouTube videos who so happen to take pictures. So for, um, who, did, who did you set out to be when you started uh, in, in, in content creation, YouTube basically? Well, my whole idea when I first started was that if I created content, put out work that showed the work that I do, the pictures okay. that I take, that people would then try to hire me to do photo j- uh, jobs. And, and that didn't happen. What happened is people started asking me questions. And so because people asked me questions, I made videos about every question they asked. So if they had a question about Photoshop or Lightroom or how to do this with the aperture or shutter speed, then then that's yeah. what I would make a, a video about. Because if that person had a question, then someone else is going to have the same exact question and they'll just search it out. But but back to the influencer thing, yeah, there's a lot of fake influencers or wannabe influencers, people that think they are, but they have no influence over anything other than calling themselves influencers. So it's a little bit like with celebrity, right? You're uh, known for being known, and influencer these days is like someone who's known for having followers, but nothing above that. Right. I mean, it's it's we see it with good-looking people, whether it's men or women, and it's, it's hi, I'm hot right now, and in five years, I'm probably not going to be. But the people that branch away from that, that, that actually find a way to cultivate business and actually offer something beyond I'm a hot girl sitting on a bed, or I guess a hot guy sitting on a bed. I don't know if they get, they do that as well. But if you can offer something beyond that, then you can branch away from it and you can actually influence something. But just being like a beauty, like a, not a beauty vlogger, but someone who just wants free shit and 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 thinks people are going to buy it. I have 1,000 followers. Maybe you can send me some free shit, right? Yeah. Basically, but 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 you mentioned you mentioned business. I think actually that's a that's a really good point. So uh, I know that uh, like we have a bit of a common background. 
Your father was in sales. My father was in sales. You started selling uh, cameras. I started selling printers. And when I look at your content and I look at your, not just the YouTube content, but all the stuff that you do, um, I see a huge influence of business. And when I look at other content creators, the successful ones specifically, I always see that they run it as a business. No, like they, it may start it out as a hobby, right? But the, the predeterminant of whether they are successful at the end or not is whether they look and they run it as a business. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I when I set out to start, it wasn't a business, right? Like yeah. I said, the hope was that I would get more photo gigs, and I didn't. And ten days into starting Photo.com in June of 2010, I launched my T-shirts. Right, I started selling I shoot raw T-shirts right away because I knew. Bands used to sell merch, right? Bands sell merch. And I figured, yeah. why can't I sell merch? Um, but it but it evolves, right? I didn't have a business plan. You know, I have kids or teens or college kids that, that have asked me in the past, hey, so when you were starting out your business, uh, what did you have in your business plan? I'm right. like, what's a, a business plan? No business plan. I figured it out on the way. I don't have a business plan. We have direction, but we don't have a business plan. So how does it turn into a business? Like, when is the moment that you know? Okay, now it's a business. You start people. You start making money, right? So, you you make money off of YouTube. You make money selling product. You make money from advertisers and sponsors. So, I mean, the first thing that happens is you make some money from it from YouTube. That's how it was for you, right? That's how it started. The first revenue was from the ads revenue. Well, no, because YouTube AdSense didn't exist when I started, so it wasn't even a thing. You couldn't monetize a video yet. One of the camera stores that I worked with was able to get advertising money from one of the big companies, right? So the, every dollar they spent on equipment, ordering it in, they would end up getting, so every $3 they spent, they would get $1 back for advertising. And at the yeah. time, the company, I'll just say it was Canon at the time. And so every $3 that was spent, the, the Allen's camera would get a dollar back in advertising revenue, money they could spend. And what happened is they weren't allowed to use it for online advertising. That wasn't recognized in 2010 by Canon. They were like, "Well, yeah. that we want newspaper ads." And I, I and so so Alan at Alan's camera, he has since unfortunately passed away. He said to me, "He's like, if you can convince them to change that rule, I will split the money with you. Right? Whatever mm -hmm. money there is, we'll do the advertising through you, and we'll make it work." And so I went to work saying, "Like, look." Why would you advertise in a newspaper, which is not targeted to photographers? There may be some fallover into some photography people, but it's not all photographers. And so I'm targeting the people you want. 100% of the people that come to my website are, are photographers. So those are the people you want to advertise to. So, okay, so maybe you didn't start thinking about it as a business, but from what you're saying, you did have in the back of your mind like... Um target audience, right? So, okay, maybe you don't know how you're going to make money exactly, how it's going to turn into a business, but you know who you want to speak to and who you want to speak about. So that was sort of the, the, the starting point. If you were like all over the place, probably wouldn't work, right? Well, the audience I wanted to talk with were people that I thought wanted to hire me. Again, that that's really where I wanted my audience to be. People that would see my work and then want to pay me to do jobs. And it ended up just being amateurs, people that wanted to be photographers, wanted, not want to be, but I mean, people that wanted to learn. And so I transitioned real fast to just giving people what they were asking for. Every comment that came in, I answered. Can't do that anymore. But every comment that came in back then, I answered it. And, and, and I made a note, right? I'm going to make a yeah. video out of this. It wasn't hard to come up with ideas because people were just 
giving me ideas all day long. So I would just focus on making them content. And it was much easier then, right? It didn't have to be as polished. It didn't have to be as, you know, as high quality as today. It was just giving information, right? I gave the information. Why do you think that, like, uh, do you think that applies for people that's starting out these days? Like, there's also, there is a requirement already for them. If you want to be successful, you do already have to have, like, high quality content because otherwise you're going to be dismissed. Well, so... I think it, it it doesn't need to be the most polished looking thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Right? You can do it with your cell phone, right? You can build anything you want with your cell phone. I, I said this to someone yesterday that if I had horrible looking video, but quality audio, people will still watch. If you have the most beautiful video in the world that sounds like crap because the audio is horrible, then people are more likely to tune out. So one of the key things to do at the very beginning was I bought a microphone. Now, it peaked and it popped and it didn't do, I didn't have it set right. I didn't understand attenuation. I didn't understand anything about audio. I set it to auto, but I knew that if I was 10 feet from the camera and I had it clipped to my my shirt, it was going to sound a hell of a lot better and not as distant as if I was just doing the on-camera audio. So you think that even in like a TikTok and shorts and reels days that audio is still like number one you should focus on? I think audio is super important. And, but when it comes to quality, well, we've seen it with TikTok, sometimes less quality people like that more. Um, but you want to talk about influencers. You really want to talk about influencers. You talk about how TikTok is fake influence. There really are very few people in that industry that actually can wield influence. You know, the the Charlie D'Amelio's and the Dixie D'Amelio's and whoever else is big over there, they've been able to branch out and create something out of it. But the small time people that have, say, I've got 100,000 followers on TikTok, that is basically worthless. It's basically worthless because they're not real numbers. What is your advice to people who want to branch out but don't exactly know how? How do you monetize? Well, well, we can get to monetizing. Branching out and monetizing are a little different. <laughs> but the... You have to pick the right platforms. And yes, there's a ton of people on TikTok. We know there's a ton of people, but you know that TikTok is not search. It's searchable, but they're serving you what they want to serve you. So you might have a video that does 10 million views, and then your next video you put up could get a thousand, right? Because it's all algorithmic, algorithmic based. It's all serving people something. And you're not getting, it's not YouTube where, yes, you do get recommended videos, but YouTube is a place you come to sit and actually engage with content. And now they have shorts, which is, I think, you know, they're trying to go after TikTok, but that's not engaging to me. I don't find that valuable. The people that are just swiping and looking for a a, a hit of dopamine after 10 seconds, and then they swipe to the next thing for another one and another one and another one are not the long-term valuable customers that you need to then turn around to monetize your business. As a creator, do you see it as an acquisition channel of sorts or just a waste channel? So basically, if, if you can get your stuff in front of a lot of new people, right? Because the algorithmic reach will help you do that. But then if you're able to convert it into subscribers or clients even, that's great. But it's hard to track that. So I've asked YouTube to put separate metrics together, which they, they don't have yet. Like we know how many subscribers come from a short. We can see that this video, each video, what has been added. But I want to know of those subscribers that were added, how many of them took the next step and watched the next video or the video after that and the video after that. For someone who just hits the subscribe button but has no 
doesn't come back to watch anything else. Like we did a short, and we, we're not doing them right now because they're they're kind of garbagey. They're they really don't work on on YouTube right now. The 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 views just went to shit. Um, we did one that has like nine hundred and thirty thousand views on it, and it's added fifty four hundred subscribers. That's great. Those yeah. numbers, it's nice to add fifty four hundred subscribers. But the question is, how many of those are actually converting and coming back and are valuable? And it's not just building the, you know, the vanity subscriber number. It's actually like in sales. I think you had an awesome interview with your with your dad on your on your channel. I I've absolutely loved it. And one of the things that he said that I resonated with very much as a sales guy is that it's not about the first sale. Right. But whether the, peop the, the person comes back. It's also the same in uh, in social media, right? It doesn't matter if there's a view or if there's even a subscription, if that doesn't convert into a long-term relationship, right? So how do you generate that long-term relationship on social media? Yeah, so the way that I've done it is that it, it I've put out consistent quality content since 2010 on YouTube. Consistent quality. That's a long time, right? 12 years is a long time. A lot of the original subscribers have either no longer subscribed they're no longer photographers yeah. or they're still subscribers but they they've moved on so it's all it's, it's a constant evolution to engage and give your subscribers a reason to stick around so so what is what is important these days more is it quantity or quality because i know that you for example you've been making uh, releasing videos like almost every day or even every day years ago now you're down to two three uh so because the quality you feel is more important in the conversion part of the sort of customer funnel let's call it so it's a mix it's a good question so yes back and and one thank you for actually watching my content and doing research before we sat down for an interview because it's go. the worst when people don't um because you pulling back some of that my dad's interview that's really good to go back and listen to frankly uh, i i've actually watched your content before i set, set out to, to interview you so no worries. i appreciate <laughs> it um so yes back in the day it was it was daily. I, in essence, was vlogging before vlogging was a thing. It wasn't like, hey, I'm vlogging, like here's what I'm having for lunch. But I would make a new photo piece of content every single day and put it out into the world. So it gave yeah. people a reason to come back. They knew that before midnight the next day or before midnight, I would have a new video out. And it was that way. It averaged a, one video a day for seven years. But over time, if you start making what I call talky talk videos, talking head videos, where it's just me talking to a camera, that's boring. Right. And yeah. so if you don't spend time getting out into the world, creating different types of content that's going to engage people, you're going to start to bore people to death. And that's why talky talk videos suck. We have a saying, if you say it, show it. So we have the set right behind me. This is we call the Bernie set that we set up to do the Bernie Sanders book stuff that I did. Uh, it's, it's our scripted set where I have a teleprompter and I sit there and I write a script and I read it. But what we do is we make sure that we cover the video with 80% with whatever I'm talking about. If I'm talking about a camera and the sensor and the shooting and this is what I shot, then I'm talking, but we're showing you on location actual mm -hmm. stuff. So if you say it, show it is important. And I think a lot of people fall into the trap where they just talk to the camera and they have no B-roll. They have nothing else to support yeah. what they're saying. And it just bores people to death. So... So that is also part of the reason why you make less videos because it takes more time to make a video like that, right? But also we found with YouTube that when you put up a video and then you follow it with another video the day later, it kind of kills the reach of the video the day before uh -huh. sometimes. Now, I mean, we've noticed most of the times it kills it. Like the reach will be like, uh, we'll do 
2,000 views in an hour, and then the next hour after you post that other one, you're like, holy shit, it's down to 800 views in the hour, and you literally killed the reach. But that doesn't mean that the video can't sustain for the future, but it just, you don't want to overbear people with too much. But, I mean, you got Linus Tech Tips, you got all these channels that do stuff every yeah. day and get millions and millions of views. It's just, can you sustain it and can you do it? Um, they can. Not everybody can. So what metrics do you focus on? Like, uh, I, I guess a YouTube algorithm uh, promotes clicks and view time, right? Is that what you focus on? I don't focus on the algorithm at all. We don't, okay. we don't focus on trying to chase an algorithm. We never have. It's always been consistent quality content. But the metrics I look for, uh, obviously views, but watch time. Watch time is the most important. Well, views are important. Watch time is the reason you get more views. So if people click through to your video, you have a good clicky title, right? A good headline and people come in. You are amazing at this, by the way. Like if I go to your wall, it's uh, it's just amazing, shocking, surprising. Everything is just screaming at me. But I don't want that, right? I don't want to play that game. But that is the game we have to play because <laughs> we've learned that if you call a video exactly what it is and it's boring, then people aren't actually going to engage with it. But we know that the titles do work for the most part because when people click on, they're going to stick around. So the watch time metrics, photo news fix, a weekly photo news where I do three-ish stories and it's five to seven minutes long, that's something that when people start to watch it, they finish it. So the watch yeah. through is 70%, right? So 70% of the people that start, finish. And basically, I'd say that everybody who starts finishes those videos because at the end, when I sign off is where you see the drop in the analytics. That's where you see people leave. But they stay. It's a straight line across. That's a metric that's super important. How long do people stay watching and engaged in your content? That's really good. That's a good determining factor on whether your content is working or not. So, so, so how do you do it except for making sure that it's dynamic and making sure that it's uh, always a lot of B-roll and 80% visualized? Is, there, is, is that the key or is there some others that you focus on? I, I think part of it is length. We don't do a good job with uh, keeping the video short. Our videos aren't short. Like I put out a 40-minute vlog from the, you know, the World Series covering that that's 40 yeah. minutes. I think you look at an MKBHD his type of videos have always been 12 minutes, right? Under, yeah, under 15, yeah. Right? So that uh, attempt to do that and sometimes, but I also feel like I'm not able to deliver enough information. I feel that you can deliver a review in, in 18 minutes or 15 minutes. You can do a good job, but sometimes I want to go deeper. And I do talk and I do show and I do explain and we have good content to go with it. And just sometimes it, it you just go a little longer. I also feel that not everybody wants the lowest common denominator denominator you know like right. dumb content yeah. right i don't buy into the 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 metric that or the idea that people have short attention spans and it's getting shorter and shorter and they want tiktok because look uh vine was what six seconds when it Five started seconds, yeah, yeah. you had six seconds to get a point across and people did but it's not but those people have branched off into making other content they grew like the logan the uh, logan paul and 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 they started in that area and uh, King Batch, they started in those spaces and they were able to to transition. When I watch Mr. Beast video, yeah, that's basically for me, it's like 20 uh, TikToks smashed together. You know, the amount of uh, the, the dynamic screaming cuts. The, the, she takes them days to make one video and they squeeze it into this very digestible, I would say, bam, 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 result type of video. They, they super analyze everything. I'm not going to go through and cut every six seconds. I remember someone 
was saying that with Logan or Jake Paul, whichever one, when they were mm-hmm, big yeah. doing their vlogs daily, that it was every three to four seconds, no more than six seconds before a cut. So they constantly were cutting, 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 which keeps people, they can't go anywhere. We do that with Photo News Fix. Photo News Fix is a fast-moving yeah. uh, episode. So there's always, you know, we, we're cutting other things in, but we're not going to sit there and make a review and be like, oh, shit, it's four seconds, we need to cut again. So if you're after entertainment or a laugh, quick laugh, then sure, six-second stuff is great. But when you want to provide valuable information to a review or, or a step-by-step guide, you shouldn't do it, and you should trust people to 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 go after your quality content rather than the quick laugh or uh, quick entertainment. And they do, right? They, they, they will stick around. Like, my vlog, yes, it's long at 40 minutes, but the average watch time in the first day was like 12, you know, 12 minutes, uh-huh. right? That's 12 minutes, and that's average. So that means people either, some people watch longer and some people clicked off and didn't watch. And it also means that maybe someone clicked off and will watch it later. So I look at that metric. To get 12 minutes of watch time in a video is pretty yeah. good. Um, that means people on average that people are sticking around um yeah but each piece of content's different right do you want to do a three minute piece of content then you're going to make it quick and engaging do you want to do a 30 minute piece of content like we've got hour and a half videos but and i and i I tell people there's different types of content depending on what you're going for there's long burn videos that are going to gain views over a long period of time Mm -hmm. versus short burn like photo news fix is a video that will live for a week and then after that those views are basically die out because that's news that's not topical after that point. And this is the rub that people get into. They're always chasing the algorithm. They're always chasing those quick views fast. They want them right away. And that's something that YouTube kind of values because they make more money off of ads at the beginning than they do in the long run. But you can't look at the YouTube metrics all the time and be like, well, this video didn't do well but because that video is meant to last It'd be evergreen to be paying dividends into the future. Would that logic also be applied to not only how the video itself is cut and and looks like, but also the title and the uh, thumbnail? So yes. if it's a, so if it's a, like a on one hand uh, the, the the quick pace video would be more clickbaity one. It's not clickbait yep. if it works, but more newsworthy. Clickbait-y. Yeah, and then on the other hand. Uh, let's say a review or a guide would be something that is more SEO optimized so people can search for a months and months to come. Yep, that is correct. Um, so like the the hour and a half long user guide video that we do for the, we're going to be doing one for the Canon R6 Mark II. We'll do that and it will get like 8,000 views in the first day, which is abysmal, right? That's yeah. like punches you in the face. But you know, and YouTube's like, oh, this video is a 10, 10 out of 10, meaning it's the worst video of your last 10. And so YouTube does shit like that on the back end. It's like, you suck. Your video's not getting as many views as before. Maybe change the title. And I'm like, fuck you, YouTube. Maybe think about this as a long-term video that's meant for long burn. But those videos that are user guide videos are ones that will last for five, six years and have five, 600,000, a million views by the time they're done. They're also the largest source of new subscribers for me. I don't dive deep mm-hmm. into the analytics, but every once in a while I'll go in and look and see where the most subscribers come from. And they're mostly gained from that informative, educational beginner content because we know that someone who buys that camera is going to search how to set up that camera. They're going to happen upon my video. They're going to be thankful that I made this hour and a half long free video showing them how to use their camera the first time. They're going to subscribe and then hopefully watch more content, and then hopefully buy the presets that we're promoting in there. 
you, you mentioned the educational part of it, and I actually I really like you said somewhere as well that. Uh, you're putting schools out of business. You're putting your own school out of huh. business. <laughs> yeah, they've been uh, long out of business now. Exactly, but uh, but but the educational part of um, of of your content and of everybody's content, um, I think it's crucial. Like I myself, I was never a good student, and now I actually learn things because I can do it in my own pace, in my own way, from the people that I trust and I consider experts, whether they see themselves as ones or not. So. You consider yourself an educator because I would consider you an educator. Right? Yeah. You consider yourself. Yeah. So what, I'm make, an educator. So what makes a good educator? I've, are you able to get the point across and that that people can get it and it clicks in their mind? So for me, it's always been, you know, like Mister Rogers. I don't know if you guys watched Mister Rogers back in the day, but Mister Rogers, Bob Ross, yeah, yeah. well, the Bob paintings. Ross. It was it was always just for me. It was Mister Rogers was hands on. He would mm-hmm. take you to the factory. He would show you how the bread it you know how the how the the stuff was cooked right they take you behind the scenes to show you how it's made and so for me it's always been hands-on approach i want to show people i don't want to tell people so if i'm telling them or showing them how i'm doing something on location i'm showing them right inside my camera because we record the evf you see my settings change you see where the focusing points are you see it and it's not just me telling you about it. And I find that that's a better way for me to teach and a better way for some people to learn. But there is also some people don't want to share what they know, either because they are not confident enough to do it in front of the camera, in front of people, or they want to protect their knowledge because it seems special and they like they will lose something if they share it. And I know that you felt like it the same when you started, but then you somehow made a switch and you said, okay, you know what? I'm just going to share it all, <laughs> say tell people all I know why and how do you make that why did you make the switch because I was being an asshole I was being an (laughs) asshole before right so my fear was when I was younger in my 20s that if I start giving people the information on how to do stuff then they're going to get the job that I want right so Mm -hmm. I thought that I would miss out on things but I wasn't getting those jobs anyway and so I made the switch the mental switch to be like you know what I'm going to give all this information away and it will pay me back in the long run. And it did, right? I don't make a living as a photographer. I make a living through photography by making content shooting, uh, making content about photography. And that's a, a thing that we'll say real for working photographers, some of them get upset about. You're not a real working photographer. No, I'm not. But guess what? I get to shoot whatever I want when I want to shoot it. And I don't have to get paid to do it because I get paid on the back end by making money off of the content that I make. So I get to shoot what I want when I want to, which I think is the dream of every photographer, that I'm not be- I'm not beholden to some person that's like, oh, we need you to come shoot this and we're going to give you like a hundred bucks to do it. That job also gave you some amazing photography gigs. <laughs> let's, let's be honest, Bernie or uh, baseball. I mean, that those are amazing things that probably yeah. wouldn't be possible, right? If it wasn't for that. So it opens no, if a I, lot of it, different doors. It would be very diff- difficult if I didn't build what I've built it's a long burn. Remember, I said my goal at the beginning was to get jobs, to get photo yeah. gigs, and that didn't really happen. Uh, but then, you know, all that hard work that I did, all the you know, a decade leading up to it, you get the call from the Bernie campaign, right? You have someone who watches your content who can help you get passes to something else, and and it's just it it takes time, right? The stuff takes time. You mentioned money, so uh, if you went there, let's go there. How do you make money these days? Like where the money comes from? Yeah, I mean, well, monetization is always a thing. If you're going to have a business, you need to figure out how to make money. Um, and I always tell people it's not just one form. 
there's been a lot of YouTubers who were super successful in having a large following, but couldn't monetize it. A lot of it was the comedy channels. And that's why yeah. comedy channels have died off because how did they monetize other than just making money off of uh, YouTube? Now, you can make a shit ton of money off of YouTube if you get enough views a day for your AdSense to be your primary, like a Markiplier, right? Markiplier, awesome sounding guy, does all those video games, tons of views, make millions of dollars, makes millions of dollars a year off of YouTube ads, doesn't need to do much else other than that. Okay. My channel doesn't, right? I get a million five, 1.5, 1.7, under 2 million views. During the pandemic, we were up to 3 million views because more people were at home watching and our revenue doubled. I can't pull in that much money on YouTube to sustain a, a business with mm -hmm. two employees and subcontra subcontractors and other things. I made a whole video about how I made a million dollars on YouTube through YouTube ads, and then I break it down. I show people that if you average this out across the 12 years of doing it, it would only be like $69,000, $70,000 a year on average. Now, we did, what, like 150 grand or something in YouTube revenue last year, 160, and it's going to be less this year because we have less views. But if that was our main source of income, it would be very difficult to run a business. You have merch, you've got presets, you've got sponsors, you've got the advertisers. You, you, you know, that's you have to have five, six, seven different sources of income. I mean, every business, successful business will tell you that you don't have one source of income because if that source disappears, your business is shit. It's gone. So, of course, you have to diversify. Here, um, I'll, I'll run the numbers here. You're at number right. one, wh where does the most money come from? Uh, sponsors and advertisers, right? Brand deals. Yeah. That's number one. Two, presets. Presets all day. Selling our own products. Selling my own digital products is light. I don't have to do very much. I sell the product and you guys send the, the digital file. People send money. The file already gets sent automatically. I don't have to do anything. It's not heavy lifting. I mean, you have to do all the work to build the product and also cultivate a following. That's, that's the second largest one. Um, YouTube revenue is somewhere down on the list. I mean, really, the biggest ones are the the sponsors and advertisers, but the most important one is your own products. Because when you control your own products and you put out your own products, you make all the revenue from your products and you're not beholden to someone else. Should the audience come first and audience the product first. should match the audience? No. Yeah. no, audience first all day. I remember when I started and I built an email list and it was like the people that, that I knew from the internet marketing world they're like, oh, you have 5,000 follow, you have 5,000 subscribers to your email list now. It's time to sell something. And I was like, no, I'm not selling something yet. I'm not ready. I don't have a product that I like. I don't have something that I want to sell. I mean, part of it is I'm, I just, sometimes I'm afraid, not afraid. I'm just hesitant to do things or okay. uh, lazy that I don't want to create the thing. But I know once I do that, it's going to be good. I didn't start selling something until 2012. When I, and it was like the end of 2012, I was selling the Fronos Photo Guide to Getting Out of Auto. It was a three-hour video product teaching people how to get out of auto. It, was, it still sells today, right? That was an unbelievable piece of content because it was at a time when people weren't selling digital products. There were very few people were able to sell digital products because they were still just physical. I, would say, I actually sold DVDs at the time as well as digital downloads. Uh, because I knew that some people couldn't, they didn't have fast internet. But that product, you know, very quickly in the first couple of months, it was like fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 of revenue. Do you remember what kind of following or audience you had at the time? Yeah, I had a I had, uh, hundred plus, maybe a hundred thousand subscribers, if that, 
on YouTube. But Were my you email doing, list, like, email list, exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah, email list was. I mean, it probably was, a, I don't know, 20, 30, 40,000 maybe. You know, th- so the way that we're able to sell a shit ton of presets day in and day out mm-hmm. is the fact that we make sure that in the content that we create that we know is going to be long burner, we know is going to be popular, we make sure that we plug our own stuff. A lot of creators are afraid to ask for the sale. They'll take the $1,000 or $2,000 plug from some shitty company and put that in there, and that's fine. You're getting paid today but there's no long-term residuals for you. So if I do a review of a lens, I know that that video is going to be searched out for years down the road because that lens isn't being replaced anytime soon. So I know that somewhere in the middle, I've cut in, I go, hey guys, let me jump in here real quick to let you know, to show you a picture taken with this lens and edited with Pack 3. Then I go through, and this is 30 or 45 seconds at max. And yeah, we'll see a drop off. You may lose people, but those people that you're losing may be actually going over to your website to buy your yeah. preset because we can't sell it directly in YouTube. Um, but we we ask for the sale. And so what happens is when you've got 500 videos over the last three, four years that have a plug for yourself and someone find, you know sees a video and then they see that plug, they're more apt to buy it. So now you start to build more sales over time without having to do as much because your old videos are paying dividends. You started monetizing your audience quite late. You know, it has to be said, right? 40, 50,000 uh, email uh, subscriber. That's quite a lot to start monetizing. I don't remember the exact number because it was a long time ago, 2012. Even if it was 10, you know, pe- people people have uh, 100 followers on Twitter and they're going to smash product and think that they're, they're going to be a millionaire. You have to deliver enough value first to give, to, to give people the reason to want to give you back. Well, Gary V back in the day when he was like the give, 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 ask. So you give so much value that over time, I mean, it's common sense. It's not reinventing the wheel, but you give so much value over time that someone is willing to buy something when you put it out, even if they don't need it because they've gained a lot of value or entertainment from what you're doing. That's what you're looking to do. Value, entertainment, people will pay you back. So if you ask for the sale too soon, then you're just, you're, you're just wasting it. Uh, I think you you need to grow first. You need to give people a reason to thank you. And then you ask for the sale. And I know this, that a lot of creators that I talk to, because I talk to a lot of the other photo creators in the industry, we're sounding boards for each other, that they, they are afraid to ask for the sale. They think they're going to alienate someone. They think that they're going to upset someone by asking yeah. for the sale. But the problem is if you don't ask for the sale, You'll never make enough money to continue to do what you want to do. And people, some it, look, if someone gets turned off because you're asking for the sale or you're doing a plug for yourself, fuck them, right? If they don't yeah. want to engage with your content anymore because you did a 30-second plug for yourself in a 20-minute video where you're giving them free shit and free information that they're learning from, they're not the right people anyway. So, Totally yeah. agree. Totally agree. Support your creators for sure. Uh, but you mentioned something interesting. You mentioned that you're with other creators, like a soundboard for each other. Yeah. Um, is it um, there is no competition between you guys, or there is some in the in in, in some ways and, and and not in the others? Or I mean, I mean, I'm competitive, but we don't have control over the competition. It's not like we're on the field playing a sport, and I can yeah. be stronger and do better or train more. If the if the search engine results are a field, then you kind of are sometimes. 
Right, but if you start playing the game of trying to chase the algorithm and you play a game of chasing that, then you're leaving stuff on the table that is long-term value. So if all you do is make content that is meant to be engaged with for a week, you're going to have to keep doing a lot of work like Casey Neistat. You don't go back and look at a vlog from, you know, five years ago. He needs to, and he's back again doing content, he needed to engage people every single day, and they did, and they came back every single day. But once that video is done, that video is done. Yeah. So there has to be a mix of content. There's the content that engages people today. There's content that engages people tomorrow. There's content that you do just for you because you want to do it. You actually mentioned Gary V. Um, that's an interesting conversation. Um, what is your view on like the the ultimate hustle culture, right? So you just smash it. I hate the word hustle culture. I think hustle culture is bullshit. Look, I think it it, it burned out. It burned out. Um, I've known Gary since 2008. I saw him at an event and I was photographing the event. My way into this internet marketing event, which I was told was one of the best to go to, was, uh, hey, I can take your photos and I'm not going to charge you for them. Just pay for my hotel room. And it was in Washington, D.C. And I ended up getting, they said, sure. And the great thing about that is I got, you know, it's all about networking, right? Yeah. Who do you know? How do you like, so I, I didn't want to see Gary V speak because all I knew of him back in 2008 was he was this obnoxious New Yorker just yelling and cursing. And I'm like, I didn't want to do that. But then I sat and I listened to him speak and he was the first person in the internet marketing world that I encountered to get up there and say, there's no secret to being successful. No one can sell you a product to help you, you know, to, that's going to make you successful. You need to do, you need to be good at what you do. You need to do quality, consistent stuff and put it out into the world. So is, isn't that hustle culture? Exactly. No, hustle culture is overdoing it. Okay. Hustle culture is thinking that you need to be on an airplane five times a week, flying in and flying out, which is what he was doing for a long time. And you don't see his personal life. You never saw how did that affect his life. Yeah. I'm not questioning that Gary's tremendous at what he did building his brand, build, you know, from the wine library to everything. Awesome. I, I know this is all over the place, but he used to be like, if you're not making 100 pieces of content a day, you're yeah, being yeah. left behind. That was bullshit. You can make a video, and then you can make a meme out of it, and then you can cut it up and make audio out of it. Then you can do this, and then you can do that. Prime example. Look at his YouTube channel right now. Four point, you know, he's got over 4 million subscribers. And so what? But he's doing on, you know, about 3 million views a month now. Mm-hmm. Because the video, all he did, he transitioned to doing shorts, 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 shorts. So, yes, he got over 10 million on Instagram by switching his content from photos and uh, with influential text on it to putting up video and then using reels to grow and then TikTok repurposing the same thing. But to me, the mistake is has always been, and he used to say it, is you, you engage differently on Twitter than you do on Instagram than you do on YouTube. And I think he fell into the his own trap of putting the same information on all the websites and his YouTube numbers fucking tank. Three million views in, in, in 30 days is terrible for a channel with four million subscribers. If you go through and you look at each video, the shorts are getting six to 7,000 views. A regular video that's long form is getting 12,000 views or 18,000 views, and maybe one will pop to 60,000. But in the heyday, they were popping much more. They were popping much more. I don't know. For me, it's basically FOMO. Like fear of missing out, you know, there's a new app, there's a new way and I have to jump on it and I have to do it. Like I have to be everywhere, do everything all the time. Or or, or like there was uh, some uh, Mrs. Harmozy or whatever. There was a viral tweet that went recently out 
and with her uh, screenshot of her calendar that is full from like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And that sucks. Full of meetings, full of like, and she describes it like I, I go to work, I um, I have meetings all day, then I hit the gym, and then I go to sleep, and that's it. <laughs> For me, that sucks. It's like, not sustainable. It's not a sustainable right? thing. How do you manage the work? Like you have so many things, so many pieces of content. Of course, you have two team and a subcontractor, so I get it. But how do you manage your own work, your own workload? Well, part of it is I'm I'm single, don't have a family at my age, and I think that's I think that plays a part in it, right? Yeah. That's neither neither good nor bad. There's pros and cons. The grass is always greener on the other side. I've been able to build the business to sustain it in such a way that I don't I I you know I can do it. I can go out to dinner every night if I want to, right? Like that's that makes me happy. I don't buy toys. I'm not a toy buyer. I just buy buildings, right? I buy property. That's what I've bought. And and it, it how do I do it? I've got those two employees that work. We built it to such a place that I've been doing it for 12 years. I've become established in in such a way. I don't think I've gotten, you know, people have become bigger. Like Peter McKinnon comes along in 2015 and blows me out of the yeah. water in a matter of a year. That was damaging to my mental state. That was very damaging to my mental state to have someone come along at a certain point in the in the world that I'm in and just totally obliterate me. And it took me a while to to mentally come to grips with the world. You know, the YouTube world changed and a lot of stuff happened. And it also helped me discover that I needed to change my content because I was doing a lot of talky talky. Right. I was doing less quality and I was still putting out quantity, but it was just talky talky bullshit that would bother bore people. And then we revamped it. And, and anyway, our views did much better. Um, and I and I talk with Peter all the time and totally cool. Right. Because you have to come to grips that there's always going to be someone bigger and someone better. But, uh, you know, Casey Neistat, I watched his video yesterday and I also said this to someone, something similar. And, and, and you know, he's not the first to say it, but it was like your 20s are for like learning or something. Your 30s are yeah. for actually doing and your 40s get to the point where because you hustled your ass and I hate the word you know, that hustle thing, but, but because you busted your ass creating and building something in the thirties, you can start to enjoy the fruits of your labor in your forties, right? Like I, I'm at, I'm in my forties. Um, I worked really hard my thirties. I had nothing at 30. I had like $400 starting the business at 29 years old, uh, maxed out a credit card and just focused on creating. Um, was that a detriment to my personal life? Maybe, right? Um, would you do it again? I wouldn't want to do it. I wouldn't want to have to rebuild everything again. I think most successful people like that's fucking hard. It was a lot of work, right? Yeah. I didn't know any better. I thought 20,000 subscribers and a thousand views on a video or 2000 views on a video was awesome. So I had no framework to, 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 you know, I could, I do it again. Sure. I could do anything I want. I can put my mind to something and, and focus and do it. Do I want to do it again? Not really. No, you know, I don't think I would want to, you know, start over and have to do that. Um, but we're always evolving. Do you have like processes set up that you could go and, I don't know, be a potentially a president's photographer and have the business run by other people in the background or you are still still so evolved around you that you have to be there every day? Well, I used to think that if I missed putting up a video in a day that all of a sudden everything would come crashing down. And I think that's a, a feeling that a lot of creators have, yeah. that if I don't do X, Y, Z, that it's all going to end. But I, you know, I haven't gone more than four days or five days at the most, um, not putting up a piece of content, putting up a YouTube video, right? Ever. I haven't taken two weeks off, ever. I don't care about taking off. Like, I'm not a vacation guy. 
if I go somewhere, if I go to Paris, I'm going to make a vlog out of it because I don't like sitting around. But to me, that's not even work. Exactly. Right? Is it work for me to review cameras? I mean, creating the content, it, there's work involved. But holy shit, I get to do this every day. It's not exactly a bad thing. Right. It doesn't. But I don't want off time. I don't like downtime. So I always like creating. It's not work to me at this point. And I've gotten to a point mentally and, and, and yeah. stability wise that, you know, the burnout thing was a thing for people. And it was a thing for me at some point where you just start getting really pissed off. And now we're at a place where, no, it's not as bad. So, so what worked? Was it outsourcing the things that in terms of work were actually felt like work? And it was letting go of certain things. It was more mental. It was more letting okay. go of, you know, chasing certain numbers. Some videos are going to work and some videos aren't going to work. It's frustrating to think, but it's also, you know, you think you, you put out a video that you spend a lot of time working on and it, and it gets 30,000 views and you're like, well, that sucks for me, but 30,000 views for someone else would be great. Still sucks for me because that's not great. But then you put out another video and you get 150,000 views and you're like, okay, right? Like that worked. And so, you know, as long as my guys, my employees are happy, as long as I'm able to go out to dinner, cause I like to go out to dinner and have what I have, I'm, I'm good. Um, I still want to grow. I still want to evolve, but I don't, you know, what do I want to do this forever? I want to create forever. I don't want to stop. How does evolving look like for you? I know you mentioned some maybe long form Netflix style documentary content. Is that, is that what you're aiming for? That, that would be one thing. It would be something to, to, to utilize time that way to create something bigger that, you know, is it about money? You know, it always comes back to money sometimes. Yeah. Um, it shouldn't always be about it. Money just buys you time or no, it doesn't buy you time. Money just frees up certain things so that you can get what you want. But the one thing you can't buy is time. Everybody always tells you, you, you can't buy more time. So it buys freedom and to security free up and, and security to, to free up your time. I mean, Ryan holiday, another person I photographed, yep. um, talks about in all his books, like, you know, saying no is okay. I've always said no. And sometimes I've said no to a detriment, but you're, it comes to the point where he's like, why well, I have to say no to this because so I get paid X amount of dollars, but I'm also taking four, you know, three days of my time away from my family that I will never get back. Or there's the opportunity cost that you, you lose where you're missing out on something else that you could be doing. So it's just those things that you get to a position where when you make enough money, it's like a friend of mine was, was invited to Malaysia to do a photo conference and all they wanted to pay for was their travel. And, and I'm like, no, that's like five days or four days out of the office or, or, or from creating. And you're not going to get a lot of value out of that. Hey, you can do anything for exposure, right? <laughs> right. Right. But it's just, you gotta, you gotta look at it as where's my time best spent. And mm -hmm. sometimes it's saying no to those things. Like the world series, I actually had something that was planned November 1st to November 3rd. It was this thing. I was going to get paid a good amount of money to do it. And then the Phillies made the World Series and they were going to play on the first, second, and third. And I called this company and I'm like, look, I this was unfortunate. Yeah. I really want to do this thing that I said that I would do. But this is one of those opportunities that I need to pursue because it, these things, you never know when they're going to happen. And some of the other people that I was telling, I'm like, this is what I was going to get paid to do this other thing. They're like, you didn't want to do that? I'm like, so I would make more money. So what? I make plenty of money. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way. Yeah. We make a good amount of money doing what we do. I've worked my f***ing ass off to get to the point that we can sell presets day in and day out without having to do very much, right? Without having to feed the system. Uh, do, you, do you have to actually, like, 
how often do you release new products? Like, or, or you're running not enough, of, not enough. So not you, think enough. you can make more money if you make more, more, more newer press presets Absolutely. or whatever. Yeah. Right. If I did a membership program, which I don't want to mm -hmm. do membership because I don't want to be beholden to putting out that content. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to be beholden to be like, oh shit, once a month, I need to put out this type of video. It would work, but I like selling one off. I like selling the products. It's cool to hear that you are, um, that you're just not like clearly you're not just doing it for the money you're doing it out of passion uh, and so i'm interested to know where is more passion is it the cool shoot that you're invited to do even for free but it's a dream come true and it's more excites you more that the content creation allows you to do it or the other way around it's like uh, the, the content creation and the education part of it is the thing that drives you well there it, it's too it's multifaceted i okay. love the fact that i can help people Right. I love the fact that I can give back and help someone, you know, give them a camera, give them a lens that they might never have had and then hear from them six months down the road to be like, I just got my first job or I am working for this company now because of something that you did. People come up to me or send me messages all the time. That's like I learned photography through you. And without that, I wouldn't have been able to support my family. Now, we don't get to see that or hear that very often. We get a lot of negative comments. We get a lot. Of, and that's the shit of that course. we that we hear and we see without getting the other stuff, unfortunately, but the other stuff is there. But I do like having access. I like being able to go do a photo shoot for a Bernie Sanders. I like being in the rooms with these interesting people. I like making those connections. So yes, I like making money. I like helping other people. I also like being seen as the photographer that's doing this stuff. I like, for me, it's the game. A lot of things are games, they're challenges, right? I like to see who I can get to next right? Six degrees. Who can I get to? Who do I know? Like I do a photo shoot for someone who's interesting. I love being around successful people. They're great to be around. You, you, you learn so much from them. I'm also giving them something that that's of value to them. And they in turn have value for me. They also make another connection so I can get to almost anybody in the world in a matter of two phone calls at this point, two or three phone calls. Cause I'm going to know someone who knows someone that can help me get to someone. So I like the aspect of, of, of being seen or being in those circles. I like that. That's van vanity. I also really like to spend time with, uh, with, with successful people and with great people. And that's why I'm very happy that, uh, that I got to spend this hour with you. That was, yep. uh, it's really awesome. I really appreciate it. And, uh, I, I think, I, I feel like there is so much more to say, so I hope that you'll come back one day and share yeah. some, some more stuff. I like talking when you have good questions like you did and, and do your research. I'm, I'm more than happy to just have a conversation. Thank you so much. Let's do it again then. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Well, I've got to say, hearing such kind words from Jared meant a lot. I hope you enjoyed the chat as much as I did and will join me in the next one when we learn from more amazing personalities giving more invaluable advice. And until then, please help us out. Share your feedback, share the podcast and subscribe. And I'll catch you in the next one.